Thank you all very, very much for leading us today. Um, I didn't think y'all were ready. We came in and uh, it's always a joy for me when I get to come and they're rehearsing and they're, they're getting prepared and ready to lead you all. I have the opportunity of getting to worship before we worship. And so it's always a privilege and a joy. Thank you both, Chris and Aubrey and the band. It's fantastic. Just so you know, we have kids in the service and that's okay. Don't worry about it, parents. They fuss and we're, it's all good. It doesn't bother me. And if it bothers your neighbor, they'll get over it. We're not going to be here that long. We're going to be okay. <laughs> Just want to like, let everybody off the hook a little bit. Um, kids, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, next week, we'll be back to normal services, 9 and 11, right here, just so you know. Thank you for accommodating. Um, the 3rd and the 27th are generally smaller services, which is why we do the one service. All right, enough of that. Let's get to it. The staff has been having a conversation for the last year or so uh, about what church is and about what church isn't. And we've talked a little bit about it as a church family here and there. As we got into this new year and as we're kind of praying through, I want to bring you in to a more full understanding the conversation. Because we all have this perspective of what church is. You have a perspective of how you grew up, where you grew up, who your parents were, what their faith was like, what you saw when we did college. Your perspective changes a little bit. Right? Your perspective changes. And if you're a Christian, you see church one way. And if you're not a Christian, you see church a different way. When I was an atheist, I saw the church. I thought you're all crazy. I would have thought I was crazy. Oh, your faith is such a crutch. I mean, these are all the arguments that take place, right? Why are you guys getting together, singing to a God that's imaginary? That, that was my thought then. Of course, we know different. Because God is not imaginary. In fact, God is so real, it's scary. Which is why we struggle so much. Because the living, mighty, powerful creator of the universe is very real. And that has implications to our life. And so the church is about that God. But we all have this perspective. And today I want to talk to you about what the scripture says about the church and about what kind of church we'll be moving forward. Because we are going to move forward. Because I don't know about you, I'm not living in that past anymore. Right? We're, let's, let's get on with it. We got stuff to do. Let's, we got stuff to do. And we've got people to love and we've got a city to serve and we have our own maturity to worry about. We have things to do. When I was in junior high, I played the saxophone, second chair. You know why I was second chair? Because there was two of us, and the guy that played first chair was better than me. <laughs> if there was the third chair, I would have been the third chair. I didn't apply myself. I liked playing, but it was difficult. The thing about playing in a band or an orchestra, right? These guys will tell you up here, everybody has their part. The problem with playing second chair is that you're always trying to be first chair, right? And we all know that we always need more cowbell, and the reason we all need more cowbell is because we want to be the center of attention more often than not. The things that I care about should be what everybody cares about. The saxophone should be the loudest, the most noticed, right? Because I played the saxophone. I never was going to make first chair, if you're wondering. I don't play the saxophone anymore for a reason. 
See, we all have this tendency though, don't we? Right? Whatever thing that we're about, we want everybody to be about. Right? Whatever we're passionate about, how God made us, we expect, and we don't say it out loud, but we expect people to also be as passionate and focused solely on the things that we are passionate and solely focused on. We do it all the time. We do it in our conversations. We do it in the way we live our life. We do it in the way that we interact with one another and the way that we expect people to interact with us. Right? And I want to redirect our attention to what the scripture says about the church and about you and about your value to this church. We just sang a song. In my father's house, there is a place for me. That has to be true for you too, right? Now, it doesn't say there is a place for me because anything. It doesn't say there's a place for me because I'm a man. It doesn't say there's a place for me because I'm a woman because I'm white or black or Asian or a musician. There's not a place in God's house because of any of those things. The reason there's a place for you and for me is because of Jesus Christ only. And your value is what we need to understand because if we don't understand our value to the full body of Christ, we will continue this idea that everybody should be as I am. And that everybody should be passionate about what I am passionate about. And so let's get into it. Because I think there are some things that need to be worked out as we move forward as a church that reveal some chinks in our armor as a church. 1 Corinthians 12, you can turn there. Because there's some things we've talked about before we get here. Acts 2 and 4 gives us a picture of the church, right? They met together. They shared things together. They ate together. They served together. And they did it consistently and constantly. And then we we all know the commission that we've been given as believers. If you are a Christian in the room, you've been tasked with a job, and that is to go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them everything that Jesus has shown us and taught us through his word. That's your job. If you're not a believer... Get ready. Because all these people have a job to do and they care. And it's not to convert people. Our job is not to convert anybody. We can't convert anybody anyway. Our job is to tell the truth and love people as God has loved us. That's our job. Go therefore into all nations, right? And we have a hard time with this. Chris and I were talking beforehand. You know, we get locked into our experience as people and we forget that there's a big wide world out there. And the way people worship God, I was telling him about there was a a specific tribe that I had learned about. I had watched um, this amazing documentary on their conversion as a tribe of people. They didn't have TV. They didn't have a they didn't have any background in church. God convicted them of their sin and they repented as a tribe, as a people. And it was amazing to watch them worship God, to praise God. And it was very simple. They didn't sing any of the songs we just sang. They jumped up and down and they were passionate and they were giving glory to God. And then almost in an instant, you would watch their hearts turn 
in humble conviction over their sin. And it was like the whole tribe was weeping in repentance. And then you'd watch that repentance well up into praise again. And it was the most extraordinary thing in the world. We are to go make disciples of all nations. Allowing space for all of those experiences. Here's what it says. Because God, or Paul was writing to the Corinthians and they needed help to understand how to be a church in the very complex and polluted world that they were engaging in. He talks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, uh, which I'm not going to get into now. I'm, I don't mind getting into it, but we're, that's not the part we're talking about. It's very similar. And he leads into this, verse 12. He essentially says, you've all been given these gifts by God's spirit and it's all for the same purpose and is meant to glorify God and build up the body. That's what spiritual gifts are for, in case you're wondering. It has nothing to do with a person who has the gift. I should say that again. The spiritual gifts that you've been given by the power and spirit of God are not meant for you. They're not meant to glorify you, to put your name on a banner or to make a big deal about you. They are meant to glorify God and build up the body. Here's what it says in verse 12. The body is a unit. A unit. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. Many parts. You got that? They're many, but they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given this, the one spirit to drink. None of this has to do with us yet. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. It's not made up of a saxophone, for instance. The body of Christ is not made up of one part, it says, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. It's the idea that because you're not a preaching on Sunday or you're not the worship leader, you somehow have lesser value. He's saying your value isn't wrapped up in whether or not you're in the front. Your value to the body of Christ and to the kingdom of God isn't wrapped up in the idea that you have some gift that is better than somebody else's or because you look a certain way or because you have this experience or that experience or because you're a man or a woman. It's ludicrous to think that your value to the kingdom of God is wrapped up in whether or not you are a man or a woman. Let me say it like this. My maleness does not make me more valuable to the body or to the kingdom of God than if I'm not a man. You being a woman, your value isn't wrapped up or making you less valuable because you're a woman. We can take this across the entire, we can go, we can do the whole gamut. It's true. He says, just because you're not an I doesn't make you more or less valuable. You still have a place in the house of God. Because if we were all eyes, what would happen? We wouldn't hear anything. If we're all ears, could you imagine if you're just an ear walking around? That'd be really weird, first of all. And you'd hear everything, but you'd bump into everything because you can't see anything. Or you, maybe you couldn't go anywhere because you don't have any feet. 
I'm just picturing a giant ear walking around, by the way, is weird. He goes on to say this, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? It's the idea that God made you, you for a reason. And your value is wrapped up in his ability and desire to use you to glorify him and build up the body. And you shouldn't be looking to play first chair if you're in second chair because the second chair is where you need to be. Because that's, or you shouldn't try to play flute if you're a saxophone player because the saxophone and the flute are playing. What if we only had drums? Mike's like, amen. We need more drums. But if there are only drums, you wouldn't hear melody. You wouldn't hear harmony. You wouldn't get a sense of where the song is going. None of that would happen. Could you imagine? What if we only had electric guitar? Some of you are like, yeah. Oh, it needs to be more mellow and acoustic. Either way, it doesn't matter the style. What we end up to understand is they all work together to make the music. He goes on to say this. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As he wanted them. Still, there's nothing about us this is still all about God. Do you notice that? As a church, if we're going to move forward, we have to remember that our life is about God. It is about honoring and glorifying and making a big deal about him and letting the gifts that he's given us be used for his sake and for the building up of his kingdom. Because he arranged them how he wanted them to be. And you're saying, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. You're the one talking up front. I promise you don't want my job. I don't even want my job. That's not true. But the reason I want it isn't because it's glamorous. It's because that this is who God made me to be. And I won't apologize for it. But I'm also going to allow him to use me in my spot to do what he has called me to do so I can play my part in the body. Because if I don't do my job, the body will suffer. If you don't do your job, the body will suffer. If you keep trying to be like somebody else, you're going to cause the body to suffer. Because we'll have everybody vying to be the same thing. And then a whole swath of the world will suffer because somebody is not doing what they were made to do. If they were all one part, where would the body be? If they were all one part, where would the body be? If they were all one instrument, where would the orchestra be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We get that part? Is that clear? One body, many parts that each have a role to play. They each have a role to play. He goes on to say this in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Listen to this. So we talked about that it's one body, many parts, and that everybody is different, right? For a reason. God arranged it the way he wanted it. But then he talks to this part of humanity that we do to one another. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
It would be like this. I, you're sitting in the front row, so I'm picking on you. I apologize, but you're my bro, so I'm going to do it. I can't say to Chris, I don't need you. For whatever reason, I think that I should say that. That's what it says. I can't look at my brother and say, I don't need you. I can't look at Aubin and say, I don't need you. Just like you can't, Justin, you can't say to him, you don't need him or you don't need her. It's, he's saying, you don't get to make the decision about who you need and don't need. As believers, as Christian brothers and sisters, we are interdependent of one another. And just because you think that being first chair saxophone makes you better than everybody else or more righteous than everybody else or more elevated than everybody else doesn't make it so. Your passion and gifting is meant to build up the body and glorify God. And I need you. We need you. But we don't need you to expect us to also be that part, though some of us may be similar. We'll get to that in a minute. He says, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. So you want to be up front in front of everybody, be presentable? No special treatment. That's what you learned early in ministry. You want so, so bad to be the leader. You want to be so bad to be in charge. You want to be so bad to be on stage, so bad to be in front, so bad to be seen. And what you realize when you get there is that that's all you get. You don't get the praise that you are craving because you're looking for it somewhere where you don't need to look for it. Because this is your job, so go do your job. This is what I do. He's saying, but the parts that are not presentable are treated with special attention. Those who are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. There's this tenderness and care for the body, right? I can't live without my, like my organs, some organs actually. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Modern science, we know <laughs> technically. But we need all the parts to function well. Have you ever, have you ever um, broken a toe? Or broken a f- The thumb is really important after all. A toe, like if you break a toe, you notice how much it affects your, your body, right? Or a hand. Try breaking your right hand. If that's your dominant hand or whatever hand it is, you know, there's no more high fives or no more handshakes. You're always, you're guarding it. There's, you adjust and shift your body changes, right? He goes on. But God has combined the members of the body, combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. So that there should be no division in the body. So that there should be no division in the body. What kind of church are we going to be moving forward? We're going to do everything to be the body of Christ that is depicted here so that there is no division in the body. And it's going to mean that we have to surrender our need to play first chair. It's going to mean that we surrender our need to be the most important 
We're going to have to surrender our need to be right. Our need to never be wronged. And our need to be elevated higher than we really ought to be. And it's going to have to start with me. So I'll be sitting down from now on. No, I'm just kidding. No division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. How hard is it for you to celebrate somebody else's successes if you're not experiencing success too? Honestly, ask yourself this question. How difficult is it to celebrate the success of somebody else when you yourself are not experiencing success, whatever that means? See, because as humanity, what we have a tendency to do is nitpick one another so that, you know, this misery loves company. Yeah, you know, you know what that means? It means that we don't know how to celebrate people when we're not being celebrated. We don't know how to clap for somebody when nobody's clapping for us. We don't know how to say, great job, I'm so glad God is using you, if we don't feel that way about us. Equal concern for one another means that we don't live in competition with one another, division, but we are able to lift one another up and celebrate what God is doing in that part of the body, even if our part's not doing anything at the moment. I hope that we'll all take some time to work that out in ourselves and allow God to change us there. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What if the church looked like that? What if the church actually did that? What if we actually suffered with one another and rejoiced with one another? What if we did that? And it wasn't about elevating ourselves at all. Paul goes on. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, teachers, and workers of miracles, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration. Praise Jesus for you. And those speaking in different kinds of languages. All our apostles, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. When it talks about speaking in tongues, it's talking about other languages. We can get into that another time. In fact, we probably will at some point, but not today. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Is everybody an apostle in here? No. Is everybody a teacher in here? No. In fact, James says don't presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. See, that's part of the problem. We all want to be in the front and you don't realize what comes with it. Kids are doing great. We're getting there. We're almost there. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret those languages, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? And then we go into 1 Corinthians 13, which we're not going to, but it talks about you can have all the things. You can have all the gifts. You can have all of the praise from people, but if you don't know how to love other people as God loved you, it's meaningless. And that goes into the how. If we want one body that functions with many parts, that is 
has equal concern for one another, it's gonna come through the ability to love one another as God has loved us. If we spent the rest of our Christian life figuring out how to love other people the way God loved us, we would be doing okay. Because it would take probably the rest of our Christian life until we finished our time on this earth to get it. And then we probably still wouldn't get it because we are constantly at battle with trying to play first chair. We're constantly at battle trying to be a presentable part of the body. And we're not content with the part that God made us to be. So what does this mean? This is the kind of church I want to be. This is the kind of church that I want Bayou City to look like. When somebody says, what's up with Bayou City? say, you know what? There's a bunch of different people there and they all do the same thing. They're all about the one thing. They're all about Jesus. They're all about loving and serving the world. And it doesn't seem like they care who gets the credit. They don't seem to care if anybody is known except Jesus. They don't seem to care whether or not they're in the spotlight, but they keep pushing each other up. It's weird. They seem to keep celebrating. I know this one guy, his life is terrible, but he celebrates everybody else like it's the best thing on earth. I don't know what's wrong with him. When people look at Bayou, see, that's what I want them to see. One body, content with the way God made you and giving all of it to show up for the gospel. See, when you find your value in Christ, it changes your perspective. When you find your value, when you understand that your value is intrinsic, meaning this, Psalm 139 says that how wonderful are the works of God The works of God are wonderful. It means this, that the way God made you is just fine. In fact, you can't be anything but wonderful. So when some schmuck comes and tries to tell you that you're not valuable, right? So some boy or man comes and tells you that you're less valuable because you're a woman, look at him and go, you're lying. I have value in the kingdom because of Jesus. When somebody comes to tell you that You are less than for any reason. You look at him and say, my value is found in Christ. God proved it on the cross. And I don't need you to tell me that I don't have a part in the body because I can tell you that I do. And whatever new, progressive, lame philosophy the world tries to throw at us, let me tell you, we know what is true. And we know that our value is not wrapped up in whether or not people like us. If we live our lives trying to be liked by the world, listen, brothers and sisters, we are already losing. They crucified our Savior. They beat and tortured our Lord, who promised that if we would lockstep with him and follow him, the same was going to happen to us. So to think that as a body of Christ, many parts working together are going to go into the world and experience peace and ease and comfort, you're lying to yourself. The scripture says very clearly, we are one body, many parts having to work together, no division in the body. But as we do that, there will be persecution. There will be difficulty. And it's okay that the suffering comes as long as we suffer together. If we suffer together, we're going to be okay. 
So when you suffer, we'll suffer with you. When you celebrate, we'll celebrate with you. When you hurt, we'll hurt. When you serve, call me. If you're lonely, we'll sit with you. This is the way the body works. It's not the way it always works. It's the way it's supposed to work. I'm just telling you what it says and that this is where we're trying to get to. I'm not saying this is where we are. We got work to do. And that's okay. We're not going to strive for position or power anymore. There's churches you can go to where you can go find that. But at Bayou City, we're not going to strive for position and power. But we're going to be a people who serve without need for praise from people. And we're going to serve for the glory of God. And we're not going to care who gets the credit. You want to talk about what it means to serve at Bayou City Fellowship? That's it. We're going to to serve to glorify God, build up the body, and nobody's going to care who gets the credit. If you want the credit, you can have it. And above all, we're going to get our direction, our influence, and our correction from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and not from the influence of the world or the philosophies of the day. We have a direction. We have directions to how to live our life, to honor God and do all the things we're talking about. It's found right here in this book. It's not antiquated. It's not old. In fact, it's living and active dividing down to the very spirit of a person. This is not a textbook. It's not a history book. It's not a poetry book. This is a book that gives life because of Jesus Christ because he is alive and well and sitting on the throne and preparing a place for every single person who will follow after him. Amen. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to hold each other to it because we love one another. If the foot of the body starts trying to freak out and go over here, the rest of the body's going to be like, whoa, bro, take it easy. Let's, let's get back. Let's get together. Let's be together here. You can't go off and do your own thing. Here's my job. My job is to get you going. Our staff's job. I'm going to give you a promise. I'm, I'm going to give you my word. We talked about our yes being yes and our no being no. We're almost done, I promise. I stole a little extra time today. You have been built and made for a specific purpose. You have passions and you have gifts that you need to employ in the world and in the body. Avik, you have a specific thing that God has built. You have this deep desire and passion. It might be um, abused women. It might be, uh, it might be homelessness. It might be poverty. It might be racial reconciliation. It might be, uh, marriage. It might be men. It might be women. It might be kids. It might be, uh, trafficking. It might be slavery. It might be all of those things. And so what I need you to do, my promise is to give you everything that you need to be your part of the body. Well, that's what our staff's going to do, but I need you to do something. I have to care about all of them. That's my job. So we're going to get you to do your job and you to do your job and you to do your job and so forth and so on. So the whole body can function as one so that we have an orchestra and not a whole bunch of saxophones. Does that make sense? See, and if the body will do that, celebrating each other, you celebrate your passion, we'll celebrate your passion, you celebrate your passion. We're just going to be up here doing this. 
No, no, okay, you go, yeah, yeah, okay. Don't keep going. You've seen the maestros do this. They keep tempo. That's a fast song right there. <laughs> While they're keying everybody to do their part. No, you come down, okay, now you go up. And it's this constant harmony of life together. What I need you to do is show up. I don't need you to show up at church on Sunday necessarily. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I want you here. There's an ESPN slogan that happened during COVID. I got really irritated. It was this really moving uh, short video I was going to show you, but then decided not to. Mostly because I didn't, I waited too long. But it's a very moving piece and are they going to be able to play the games? Are they going to be able to do it? And then the music starts to build and you're like, oh yeah, we can play. And then there's, because right, it's like this whole thing. And then here's the tagline. And this is what irritated me. It says, where do we show up no matter what? There's no place like sports. And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm going to steal our slogan back. Where do we show up no matter what? Where do we show up in marriages? Where do we show up in families? Where do we show up in the world? Where do we show up in suffering and poverty and hurt and anger and frustration? Where do we show up no matter what? There's no place like Bayou City. There's no place like the church. Now that hasn't been our slogan, but it's going to be. Welcome to the new Bayou City Fellowship where we show up no matter what where we show up even when we don't want to, even when it's hard, even when we're not in the limelight, even when somebody else is getting praised and we're not. Welcome to the new Bayou City where we serve without caring who gets the credit, no matter what. Sports are great, but you know what? Sports have nothing on the church, not on Christ's church that has been built and made on the blood of Jesus and the power of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. There is no place like the church. There is no place like Bayou City because the power of God is at work and will be at work as we strive to love each other this way. Where do we show up no matter what? What if we all served and did our part without caring if we ever got one clap one word of affirmation. Could we do that? But what would happen if we served and we did our part? You got to be the foot. I'm glad. I'll be a, I don't know. I'll be a vein on the lower intestine. That's all good. That's kind of my part anyway. What if we all did our part without caring who got the credit? What if we actually served in such a way that showed that we know our value is wrapped up in Jesus and not in anything that is outward. How about that? What would that look like, I wonder? What would happen if Jesus was really enough for us and the world around us? What if you started telling people about Jesus, the true gospel? What if you started telling people that there is hope and a future? What if you stopped caring about what they thought about you and what they thought about me? What if we stopped inviting people to church and we started making disciples? What kind of church would that be? Because I think that's what it's in 1 Corinthians 12. It's what's in Acts 2 and 4. And it's what the Great Commission is all about. It's why you came to Christ in the first place to be a part of that kind of body. It's going to be the kind of body I want to. 
What happened if we showed up no matter what? This is not a secret plug to get you to volunteer. We don't need volunteers. We need parts of the body doing their job. We need you to fully engage and to show up no matter what. Not just on Sunday mornings because we don't count. Did you know we don't count heads anyway, so we wouldn't know how many people are here in the first place. But I'll tell you what, when we show up, let's show up. Let's show up. Can we, what if we're that kind of church? I want to be part of that with you. I'll do my part if you'll do yours. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for conviction. God, thank you that you made us all different and specific and intriguing and personal. Thank you that you didn't make us that way for us. God, thank you that you made us for one another and for you. God, would you help us raise a new generation to understand that our life is meant to glorify God and love one another? Oh, Lord, if we could just get that one. Help us to love one another. We're going to continue our worship service and end the way we always do, which is in prayer. I'm going to invite those who would come and um, be available to come forward now. And as they do that, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And as we worship, here's what I'm going to ask. If you need prayer, if you need someone to pray with you or to pray for you or to pray um, about anything, come, come during this time. We'll be available after as well. If you don't know Jesus and you're intrigued about what church is supposed to be and you're wanting to be a part of it and you have questions, this is a fine time to do that as well. But let's, let's leave today having showed up, having prayed as much as we needed to, having to, to sing as loud as we could in order that God would be honored and that we would know that we love one another. Let's do that now.